welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 175th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it's our 629th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. On Monday, IU released its initial COVID-19 testing data for the men's basketball, women's basketball, and football players who have returned to campus. In all, 187 tests were conducted across the three sports, and there were zero positive tests. Obviously, it's important to not read too much into one initial round of testing, but the results can't get any better than that, so we'll take it, especially given the high number of positive tests that we've seen at other schools, Clemson and LSU most notably. Perhaps Indiana's perfect round of testing was just a matter of luck and many positive tests are forthcoming, or perhaps Indiana really is doing a better job than other schools of implementing and following safety protocols that legitimately decrease the risk of spread among the athlete population. There's no way to tell at this point. All we can do as basketball fans is continue to track these numbers when they come out, hope that they stay as low as possible, and watch how other sports handle positive tests when they happen. We all agree that we want sports back as soon as possible while also balancing the health concerns for the participants and their communities. It's not going to be easy, and given the larger trends in the U.S., difficult situations and decisions surely lie ahead. But at least for these IU athletes, it's so far so good. We'll take what we can get at this point and move forward. Okay, let me introduce uh, my esteemed co-host for the evening, uh, and we will be joined by Jared uh, later on in the show. Uh, But uh, to my right, uh, Ryan, uh, what's your rant uh, this week on IU Hoops? Well, first of all, I want to I want to congratulate some of our fellow Hoosiers who are big time Liverpool fans. The long suffering soccer franchise got its first Premier League title in 30 years. So I know Zach Osterman is a big uh, Liverpool fan. I know our buddy Jason Kennedy was also a big Liverpool fan. So uh, congratulations for that. It was a long time coming and and uh, quite a thrilling season, even if it had a big interruption there. Uh but I, I think it's just the big thing for me is that workouts, they're back to workouts and, and, and doing some in, in, uh, individual stuff and, and starting uh, to really you know, get back on campus and, and get back into the flow of actually being basketball players again. And I'm sure a lot of them were working out at home and all that stuff, but getting back on campus and you're seeing guys share pictures of finally getting to campus and all that stuff. I think Trace Jackson Davis posted it uh, either yesterday or the day before that he was back in Bloomington and, uh, it's nice to see that they can can finally be back to sort of some level of normalcy. I mean, look, when you're in your early 20s and and maybe even before turning 20, you you want normalcy. You want some some something to sort of feel normal when you're when you're going through college. And so, uh, getting back on campus, getting to work out, getting to see your teammates. Uh, I think even though they've been doing you know Zoom calls and stuff like that, it's better to you know be in person and and build that chemistry that you need. And so I think that's that's the big storyline of the week for me is that Indiana's basketball players back on campus ready to ramp up. Yeah, it's always good to see. And, and the weight room uh, pictures are coming out. And, and so it's starting to get back uh, 
to what we want, uh, albeit a little bit late and a little bit slowed down. Okay, here's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, the Big Ten All-Decade team was put out uh, through the Big Ten Network. We'll talk about that. This week's main focus is Armand Franklin, his player preview. And at the end, in segment three, we'll answer your questions. All of that uh, coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But before we get to all of that, here's a few quick announcements. Uh, please continue to support our friends at Homefield at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, and use the uh, promo code assemblycall20. Uh, they've just done a great job at supporting uh, local businesses, their own um, personnel. So continue to uh, go to Homefield and check out what they have. Also, a quick note, uh, I, I hope I pronounced this correct, Ben Steinar, Steinar on Twitter. Steiner. Uh, per, Steiner. Thank you. Uh, per source, former Indiana University standout Devontae Green has received NBA interest from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Bucks for the upcoming 2020 NBA draft. Green recently signed with Rock Nation Sports Agency. We wish Devontae a lot of luck in his pursuit. Uh, just, of just, basketball. just, just to interrupt there. Ben Steiner is doing some work for the Big Lead, so a little cross promotion. Go to the Big Lead and check out Ben Steiner, who's an IU guy doing some work for. NBA and always work. hit those links. We learned that last week to help. Got to do it. Hit those links, gotta guys. Got to hit the links. So. Uh, recently, the, the Big Ten All-Decade team came out, and, and the first team was Trey Burke, Draymond Green, Frank Kaminsky, Evan Turner, and Denzel Valentine, despite Evan Turner playing only one season in the decade. The second team was Carson Edwards, uh, Ethan Happ, Victor Aladipo, Jared Sullinger, and Cassius Winston. And the third team was Aaron Kraft, Yogi Farrell, Jawan Johnson, Jordan Murphy, D'Angelo Russell, and Caleb Swanigan. And Russell played one season for Ohio State, and that yeah. team was a sixth-place team. The coach he got of the votes. Decade, he, he, yeah, he clearly Tom got votes. Yeah, he clearly got – D'Angelo Russell was a ridiculous selection, but he got votes because of what he's done in the NBA, and he's turned out to be a max player in the NBA. So that, that I found that ridiculous. And, and did you see by any chance what the criteria was? Was it not, overall career, impact on winning, what they've done afterwards? Because I think it should be – what they what they did during the decade for their teams and specifically winning teams. There's a lot of good players, but not every good player helps their team win. Uh, and there's some obvious uh, players that I think were were left off uh, the 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 roster. Let me throw out a few uh, to you, Ryan, and and see if you uh, agree. The number one person hits home is Cody Zeller, not on three teams of the all decade team. Average double figures, quite, and not just over 10 points a game. Totally came in and changed the program around two sweet 16s and um, is not on, on the first, second, or third team, uh, all decade team. Your thoughts? I, I get that not everybody can be on it because you have a limited number of space and you're considering Cody Zeller just a center. Then Caleb Swanigan, Jared Sullinger, Ethan Happ, Frank Kaminsky, you consider those guys, and they probably had deeper tournament runs. Maybe they were considered for all big 10 player of the year. And here's the thing. Cody Zeller had Victor Oladipo not been around. He probably would have gotten more individual accolades, but those two guys split a lot of accolades. So I get it. I think it's wrong. I get what they're looking at. And they're also trying to spread it around to some different teams as well. The big thing for me was Victor Oladipo was one of the most impactful players in the Big Ten in the last decade, and the fact that he's on the second team and not the first team drove me nuts. And if you're sticking to there has to be a point guard, a shooting guard, I say, that's ridiculous. Trey Burke, one Big Ten player of the year that year, 
Victor Oladipo was the better player and Victor Oladipo dominated him in two matchups. So the fact that Trey Burke is on the first team, not Victor Oladipo irked me. I get that you look at the accolades and Burke gets the nod, but to have Evan Turner on who again, played one season in that decade uh, over Oladipo or, you know, I mean, I I think you got to go with three perimeter players and two post like players. I think that's the way you do it instead of setting up positions. And if you do it that way, there's no way that Victor Oladipo isn't one of the three best wing guard, whatever players of the last decade. So that drove me nuts. Um, I think, you know, Draymond green was a good player in college. I think he's been better in the NBA than he was as far as making an impact on, um, you know, the level of impact he's had. So I don't know if he's a first teamer from his college days. Um, he was a first team all American, but how many years was he? He was third team or he was, he was, you know, on the big, all big 10 teams for a couple of years. Um, I guess you give that, but you know, it's, it's hard to make huge arguments for all of these guys to, to be on the first team over in Oladipo who, his senior year, or I mean, junior year, his final year, he was likely the best player in the country at that time. You know, I think there there are three players on the second team that really have an argument to to move up to the to the top level, and that's Cassius Winston, who who just was dominant for his four years uh, at the point. For sure, I think Cassius Winston could jump Trey Burke easily, and maybe even Denzel Valentine. I, I know Denzel was good. Um, but I think Cassius really ran that, that team. And I, and I have to say, sadly, I think Carson Edwards for his impact on the Purdue team and the run that they made to go to the lead eight and his tournament play, uh, can be considered for, uh, moving up into that, that first team as well. And it's just interesting because how do you compare, uh, Evan Turner played two seasons and then his junior season was 2009, 2010, which fit into the decade. He only had one. So it's kind of hard to compare. You know, do you take his total three years versus that? Um, does he count? But I, I don't think Evan Turner and then later D'Angelo Russell, the one year uh, and didn't impact winning a Big Ten title or anything like that. Th- those are the two questionable ones. I'm not saying Evan Turner shouldn't be on the roster here in, in the first, second, or third team, but I don't know that he is um, first team material. Uh, as you said, let's get to some. I, let, me, I, let me just let me just say yeah. something real quick. And 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 I'm not saying that the guys who were on the first team aren't deserving of consideration for the first team. Like Draymond Green was a phenomenal player in college. I'm just talking about Draymond versus you know the second team guys. Like where's the line that you're making? And I don't think they made it very clear how they made their suggestions. Like if it's about postseason accolades, Draymond Green's on the first team. There's no question. And Trey Burke, you know, was Big Ten Player of the Year. Does he get that? consideration um if you're looking at how impactful they were on the court you know all these other things i it's i don't know it's it's hard for me to decide like how they actually came up with this and uh, of course as an indiana fan you see only two players on it and one of them isn't cody zeller you're kind of shocked by it so um I don't know. The, the guys on the first team were all good players and made an impact in the Big Ten. It is weird. I think the Evan Turner selection is a little odd, it, considering he only played one season. It's, all, it's also weird, and, and I, I know this is an Indiana show, but Wisconsin had a lot of success in the decade, and they spread out um, you know, their stats. You know, there, there were a couple of players from Wisconsin, and I'm not saying first team necessarily, but I, I had a list of, of subs, and I went back and, and looked at 
individual stats over their career, but Sam Decker played uh, in, in this decade. Nigel Hayes, Bronson Koenig, uh, those guys were really solid too. You could make an argument that they might make a third team, uh, but the other, the big one, uh, and as time passes, you forget is the point guard Jordan Taylor. You, if you really go back and compare his stats for his four years, and they ended in 2012, 2013, uh, his stats uh, compared uh, to Aaron Kraft, uh, and I'm not saying Aaron Kraft doesn't deserve to be up there, but the stats, uh, you know, don't match up compared to Jordan Taylor, who was the point guard uh, at, at Wisconsin at the time. But Zeller, to me, is the obvious uh, number one sub, but snub. But I had Jordan Taylor, Sam Decker. Robbie Hummel, I can maybe understand because injuries derailed his last couple years a little bit, but I thought he was a real impactful player in the decade. Nick Stauskas uh, from Michigan, uh, but he was only around for two years. Gary Harris had a solid two years in the decade. I would have considered Jared Utoff at Iowa, Etwan Moore at Purdue, Miles Bridges, Michigan State. I had Nigel Hayes and Koenig, and then Deshaun Thomas from Ohio State had solid uh, run uh, in his years at Ohio State. So when, whenever you put together a, a squad like this, there's always going to be points of contention, uh, regardless of how you select. Uh, but but any thoughts on any of those snubs uh, that should be moved in um, or you would have moved in personally? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think Zeller should be on because, you know, I'm an Indiana homer. Come on. Uh, that's really the only one I had a, I had a big problem with. Some of those other guys, yeah. I mean, certainly, again, if you limit it to 15 players, there's going to be 30 that, that think they, that, that people think have a shot on it. So it's, it's kind of a, um, a futile exercise a little bit. I mean, look, the third team is pretty loaded. You've got Aaron Kraft, Yogi Farrell, Jawan Johnson, Jordan Murphy, D'Angelo Russell, and Caleb Swanigan. I think Russell probably you take out. You know, he got it again because he was the number two pick in the draft, and he's wound up being a decent NBA player who just got a max contract. Like, I mean, that's why he's on, and he had a good, good freshman year. But are we talking about how good they could have been if they stayed four years? Or are we talking about how good they actually were in the Big Ten? He was a really good player, but. And to some you know, extent, you can't penalize him for a selection like this because he was good enough to go to the pros as yeah, a number two I, I, draft. Yeah, so that would be the course. argument so for keeping great, a player like but, that. You know? Yeah. So, but I, I do think uh, for me, it's Zeller and Jordan Taylor. As I looked over the list, those are the two that I thought were were the most deserving. The others were just really quality players that I had listed. Uh, and I would but here's put, the thing. Uh, here's here's what I would say about D'Angelo Russell. Again, he played one season for a sixth place team. We're not arguing for Romeo Lankford to be on the list, right? You know, and and again, Romeo didn't have as good a freshman season as D'Angelo Russell did, but you wouldn't even try and make the argument that he was up there, and he was a lottery pick. Noah Vonleh, yeah. I mean, you, you're not making that argument because clearly they, they weren't around long enough to make a big impact. So I, I do think the Russell pick on there is a recency bias thing, is seeing how well he's turned out in the NBA, and he had a great one season, but it didn't really impact. I think it is kind of hard when, when you see players move on to the league and the league is so talented that, that you see where they played college ball, when they played college ball, to have that sit uh, in your mind. And it is such a personal decision-making. You know, for me, it's what impact did you have for your longevity and did you impact winning? Uh, to me, that's what makes a college player. And sometimes like a guy like Cassius Winston, who is going to be a great college basketball player, may not have a great uh, pro career. He might just be at best a role sure. player or whatever because of his skill set, but that doesn't take away from him being uh, one of the best players that has played against yeah. Indiana. And look, if it's about impacting winning, Draymond Green makes sense as a first team 
pick. Yeah. I mean, it really does because he did everything for that uh, for that Michigan State team, and that's why he was Big Ten Player of the Year. But he, um, I think it was 2012, he was Big Ten Player of the Year. But he, um, but you know, if it's about individual skill, and that's why D'Angelo Russell's on, you know, I mean, so it really seems the criteria is kind of mixed here. So that was what I took away. Yep, but uh, for our sake, we're putting Zeller on and um, dropping D'Angelo Russell just because we're homers, and we can do that on this show. So, okay, coming up, uh, we look ahead to Armand Franklin's sophomore season. Showed flashes of being the kind of 3-and-D win and has lacked in recent season. Can he become reliable in that role as a sophomore? We'll discuss next. Stick with us. What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. Uh, thanks, Devontae. Uh, this segment, we are going to be talking about who's going to get your minutes and your shots. Uh, so uh, you might want to tune in and see what, what we decide. But you can find all of our content content at our website assemblycall.com and if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the in-between segment banner then check out our youtube channel youtube.com backslash assembly call i'm uh not andy bottoms i almost read that word for word i'm brian donsoni with uh ryan Phillips <laughs> you, almost, we, you almost you almost pulled a ron burgundy just read yeah, whatever's exactly. in the prompter it's I didn't uh, erase any of this stuff. So I'm Brian Tonsoni, for those of you who are listening, and I'm here with uh, Ryan Phillips. We're going to be talking um, Armand Franklin and his player preview for the upcoming season. Uh, Armand played uh, 34.4% of the minutes overall, uh, but he saw those minutes uh, drastically decrease uh, from February 1st uh, until uh, the game against uh, Nebraska in the Big Ten tournament where he averaged just 5.8 minutes. Uh, he shot 26.6% from three. Uh, that's not counting seven for 10 at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Uh, it was just 18.6% otherwise. He does have a history of shooting well in high school, 39 and 35%. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, Armand Franklin, uh, as you see what he did last year and, and some of the things that you see will be his strengths moving forward uh, next season. Well, it starts with defense with Armand. I think he's a very aggressive on-ball defender, and I think that that's really what Archie Miller likes about him is he's aggressive. Now, look, one of the things he did, and we talked about it a lot this season, and this is a freshman trait, so it's not you know a knock on Armand. He guarded a lot with his hands this year. As soon as he would, uh, his man would dribble, he'd stick his hands out, you know, almost like touch the guy on his hip or something like that. That's a natural reaction that you just have to break because in high school, they're not going to call that. In college, if you're facing a good point guard, they will call that every single time. As soon as your hands go out, they'll call it every single time. And so he got called for a lot of fouls on that, uh, but he moves his feet well. He's aggressive. He gets in passing lanes, uh, and, and he's not afraid. You see this kid, and he is not afraid to challenge offensive players with his defense. I think the key with him is going to be his shooting. Can he bring his shooting around? And we saw that he can shoot it. As you said, he went 7-10 to 10 at Banker's Life in, in big moments. So he can shoot. I think there's a, a little bit of an over-rotation on his shot that, again, he's got to work on. He's got to get stronger so he's not forcing his body to sort of twist as he shoots. So you work on that upper body, get stronger. You don't have to 
use your arm as much when you shoot. You can be more wrist focused because your arm is already strong enough. You don't need to, you know, slam your body around to get the shot off. So we saw inconsistencies in his shooting. Um, you did see him be aggressive on drives sometimes, and it would kind of be out of nowhere. Like, oh, hey, Armand, nice drive. Uh, but I think that he's a guy who you who who needs to work on that jump shot. If he can get that jump shot down, he can be a big-time contributor as opposed to just a role player for this team uh, over the next couple of years. I think he's going to be a four-year player. I think he's got the ability to to do some things, and he's he's smart, he's heady, and he's aggressive. And those are three things Archie Miller loves. And so you can tell why he likes Armand Franklin. And sometimes last year, as Rob Finnessy worked his way back, you'd see him not being aggressive. And then you put Armand Franklin on the floor and see whether or not he can succeed at it or not. You see his attitude is more aggressive, more go forward, more, you know, find a way to do something fast. Now, again, the skill level isn't up to where it needs to be for him to do that consistently, but you see that mindset of a more aggressive player. Rob Finnessy needs has the skill and needs to change the mindset. Armand Franklin has the mindset, needs to change the skill level. So they are actually sort of a mismatched pair that if you combine the best qualities of both, you might get a pretty darn good player. I think Armand will get there over time. I'm not sure about uh, whether it's going to be this season. He's going to be a fully realized player, but I think he is definitely a candidate for a breakout if his offense comes around, certainly. You know, you brought up uh, several points that, I, that I'd like to talk about as well. Um, I thought he was he was thrown into the fire early last season because of the injuries to, to Green and Finnessy and had to play lots of minutes, maybe even before he was ready. And I thought he handled that pressure rather well. Uh, as a young person, you're going to have turnovers. You're going to have maybe some bad shot selection, some missed shots, some of those things uh, when you play that first you know, 10, 15 games. But he had two really good scoring games uh, against good quality opponents. He single-handedly kept us in and won the Notre Dame game, which was a, a big For thing. Sure. He, wasn't af- he wasn't afraid of the moment, which shows you that that moment can be there in the next season, and it can be there more than just a couple of games you know, uh, at, at Banker's life. Yeah, and, just to uh, clarify, he had 17 points in that game and made yeah. four or five threes and was just nails. You know, he made, they were all And the clutch shot too. at the end. To, yeah. to you know uh, to, to put it in shots. ahead, yeah. You know that that's that's that some intangibles of a of a player uh, that I think can you know result in in increased minutes, increased production. The question is just going to be how much, uh, how quick does that development get to to be at the Big Ten level? But um, the other game, I'm trying to think. He scored nine points. I had it uh, somewhere, but in getting ready, I forgot. His other big game was a oh, it was Florida against State. Florida State. Uh, and I know Devontae played well in that game too, but those are two big games on the road against Notre Dame and Florida State that would have helped uh, Indiana get to the tournament as we knew they were at the end, and he was ready in December to do those things. And I think that he just ran into a little bit of a freshman wall, and then the rotation was we're going to go as far as we can with Devontae and Al and some of those guys, and that's where the he, he was just victim of tightening up the rotation. But he was also ready, Ryan, after not playing lots of minutes the last eight games of the Big Ten, 25 minutes against uh, Nebraska, he he went in and, and played hard, and it wasn't hero ball or anything. I got my chance, and I thought he played really well given the lack of time that he had. Those things, those intangibles, I think are really good. I want to ask you a little bit about his, his shot. You talked about it. I think his shot selection hurt his percentage. I thought maybe he shot too early uh, in, in – um, 
possessions. I thought he shot too deep. He, he wasn't around the three-point line, uh, and I thought that he hurried his shot um, to try to, you know, you, you get as a freshman, you want to prove that you can shoot and prove that you can make uh, instead of understanding when to shoot uh, the basketball. Do you think that his understanding of college speed and the college game and what Archie expects will automatically increase that 26% three-point shooting? Yeah, like most young players who aren't superstars, he was thinking too much. And I think that you had some hesitation shots. And also, as you said, you had some rush shots and you had some where he caught it and just in the hesitations was where he caught it and just was like, uh, should I shoot this? Okay. You know, and, and it's, he's wide open because he's a freshman who hasn't hit a great percentage. So he's backed off. I think that a lot of it's just going to be focused for him and it's going to be feeling natural on the floor. Uh, the free throw percentage, not great. I mean, it was 61% for him from, from the free throw line. If I'm, if I'm not correct not, uh, looking 61.5, you know, that's, it has to be a natural motion for you. He has to get used to that and not think about it and just make it. So it's a natural motion. Um, and, and it's focus. It's also concentration. And, and the three point line is the same way. You can't be thinking when you step to the three point line, you either instinctively know this is a shot that I need to take, or I need to move the ball down the line, or I need to drive or whatever. It's an instinct. If you're thinking too much, your brain gets in the way of your body. And, and, um, so I think it's a focus thing also with that it's be focused and locked into the game, not thinking, okay, the ball's coming to me. What am I going to do here? Okay. What do I do? Okay. I'll shoot it. You know, it's, it needs to be instinctive. You need to know where your teammates are on the floor. That all comes with age and, you know, development and all that stuff. So I think that he'll get better, but I think also it's something he's going to have to work on is, is making sure his game gets caught up. I think his shot again, rushed sometimes. Uh, took too much time on other times. I mean, he was never, he was, it was the Goldilocks thing. He was never quite locked in perfectly. You watch, if you watch the games of Banker's life, he shot it confidently. You would watch that and think, oh man, this guy's a knockdown shooter. You watch the rest of the season and you see a completely different player. And I tell you what he did at Banker's and you would be like, that's not the same. There's no way he did that. You know, I mean, it's two different players. He hit the sweet spot when he was at home in Indianapolis got to bring that to Bloomington now, you know? And, and so I think there's um, just a, a, a development curve that needs to happen. Again, you get a five-star guy who's super confident in his ability, no matter where he plays, he's going to be fine. Armand was a guy who's got to prove himself. I mean, he was a good recruit, but he's not at that superstar level. And we're not at that superstar level. It takes time to develop. So none of this is unexpected. Um, I think entering last season, we all kind of expected the season we got from Armand. We thought aggressive defense, maybe some aggressive rim attacking, not a great, maybe not a great shooting situation. I mean, I know he shot pretty well in high school, but it was still a developing shot. So I think we got what we expected from Armand. Now, maybe not, you know, in the way we expected. He played a lot early, took a big break, and then, you know, started to show uh, in that last game of the season. So I think that this year it's really got to be a development year for him. I think the potential for him is very high to be a very, very good Big Ten player if he develops. Another thing that, that you said that I agree with is that it's, he seemed to be able to push the ball at an appropriate pace. You don't want to play too fast, and sometimes freshmen play too fast in their decision-making and their technique. But uh, a few weeks back I did a, a, a breakout uh, for our community on the pace. And I thought his pace, the two or three times he got the ball and pushed, he had his head up, and he's that kind of guy. But I also think he's going to be able to He did to it in benefit. high school, you know. Yeah, he's going to benefit from being off the ball 
you know, there was so much turmoil at the guard position with two injuries and, and not too many guards last year that I think he was forced to have the ball in his hands to, to get things started where he can do that. But with Lander and Finnessy, he doesn't have to do that. That frees him up to get his feet set for three-point shots. My question to you is, I think Indiana needs a drive game. Uh, you know, not just a three and not just a post game, but they need a downhill game. And I think Armand uh, might be able to do that. And I just wondering your thoughts on his ability to beat people off the bounce and, and, and score at the rim, either in transition or in the half court. Can he develop into that uh, in time? Uh, athletically, yes, he can. Uh, and, and I think honestly playing with Christian Lander, and again, I, you know, a lot of people get stuck on the primary ball hander and all that stuff. I think Indiana is going to be a situation where they're going to have multiple guys who can bring the ball up. Obviously, Christian Lander is going to be number one on that list, or Rob Finnessy um, will probably be number one to start the season, but I think they'll be co-number ones, essentially. Armand Franklin and Al Durham then don't have to bring the ball up as much, and that's a positive for Indiana because I'm not saying those guys aren't good at it. They can do, they, they can do it. But you'd rather have guys who are really good at it doing it and letting those other guys run off the ball. So I think that, yes, on the break, I would rather see Armand Franklin breaking in from the wing than at the point with the ball. And, and I think that that's going to be a, a role he, he can fill. And again, athletically, he's there. Aggressiveness-wise, he's there. He's got to get in a mental place where he's aggressive every time. Because again, when we saw him attack the rim aggressively, or we saw him get inside and shoot the ball confidently and aggressively, he was successful. It's just a matter of getting in, getting it inside his head that, okay, I belong here. I can do this. And I think he can do it. I think that he's got an aggressive mindset. It's a matter of tuning that in every time and making sure he has that aggressive mindset, not just on defense, but also on offense when he gets a ball in his hands. There were a few times where I thought he drove into people and into traffic too, and that's just part of understanding the yeah. game. And and what's nice and, and gives me some uh, You have to pick your spots with it. Yeah. yeah, is we got some guys that have some ability coming back that now have a year of experience, and they have it on tape, and they're learning what they did right, and they're learning what they did wrong. Uh, and, and I, But I do like – I do like the aggressive nature of Armand, and, and the question for this segment is, can he be a breakout player? The question is, yes, he can. It's just going to be whether it's going to be in his sophomore year or is it going to be in his junior year. Um, we would all lo- like to see it a little bit earlier uh, than not. Let's let's switch over a little bit to um, to defense. Um I thought he was he was okay defensively, position wise, and on the ball. He got you, you've mentioned a lot last year. He was real handsy. Uh, he got to his head over his stance a little bit too much, and 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 didn't drop his feet as fast and would grab uh, on ball. Uh, he played defense it, like a freshman. I mean, let's be yeah, real. It, but, you know. but again, um, I've been talking to people uh, on social media and texts and that, and what keeps coming up is hard nosed, hard nosed. And I think defensively, he brings a. a a level of toughness, and I overuse that word, but the the hard nosed play that he'll go in and try to guard someone, he'll try to go in and rebound, and he'll try to do the right things. And with experience, the mistakes will be limited. Can he be uh, one of the better defenders on the team, or has he just got to play defense at a certain level? Uh, can he be a, a good defender uh, for this basketball team? Yeah, I think he can. I think he could be the second best defender on the team at the guard position next year, as soon as next year. And and I think he 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 was up there this past year. I don't you know I don't know where the dividing line was because again as a freshman he made mistakes he was out of position a little bit but his on ball aggressiveness and want to defensively is right there with anybody. 
Rob Finnessy, I think, is the best defender on this team. I think Armand Franklin has a chance to surpass him if he gets the fundamentals down. And the fundamentals being don't grab guys when they drive. Don't, you know, over-rotate and then under-rotate back or, or whatever. If he gets those little things down that, again, come from growing as a college basketball player naturally and fitting in the system and knowing the guys around you, knowing how far you can sag off of, a, a, of an opposing guard but, and still get help from somebody else and, you know, all those little things. If he does that, I think he could be the best defensive guard on the team. I really do. Uh, will that happen this year? I don't know. It, you know, you got it depends on how much they developed. And, and the other thing is, is that we, we talk about development a lot and development of, as you said, toughness, you know, uh, shooting, all of those things develop year to year for guys. And we talk about what normal development is. We don't know what normal development is going to look like this year. It, it's very different. And so there's all these caveats with like what guys will be this year. And we've talked about it pretty much every time we've done one of these player breakdowns, we said, well, they should go this way. But we'll see, you know, and and so, but I think Armand's a guy who's going to work hard. I, everything I've heard about him is that he's a guy who really wants this. He's dedicated and he's going to work hard. If he does that, he's going to be a very good Big Ten player. One of the things I like guards to do is go rebound, and I think he has a nose for the ball. Um, you know, in, in thinking back over the games from last year, he, he was quick to dive on the floor. He was quick to mix it up. He, he was not afraid uh, as a freshman, and I, and I don't – most freshmen aren't because they played a lot of AAU, but there's just – at that level, he he was not. Um, the moment didn't catch he's him. He's not off afraid guard. at all. Yeah, he no. he didn't catch him off his guard. First, and- his first college game, he had five points. He, he had five rebounds and eight assists. His first college game, I know they weren't playing a good for a good team, but it was who was that? Western Illinois, I think the Leathernecks. Yeah. Uh, you know, five points, five rebounds, eight assists in his first college game. You're thinking. Who is this kid? I mean, he, he came back down to earth, but he had eight rebounds against uh, Nebraska in the, in the Big Ten tournament. I mean, this is a guy who's aggressive and goes and, and, and chases the game. And, and so um, I, that's a positive because you need that kind of a personality on your roster anyway. Uh, so anywhere you can get it, it's great. So to round up uh, Armand Franklin's player preview, what, what kind of minutes? Um, and this is always a question everyone likes to hear, and it's bandied around. What kind of minutes? And do you think that he can play some three if Indiana wants to go to three guards or needs someone? Can he guard that? I think he could play that position offensively. My question would be, can he guard that of six 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 seven kind of uh, three? Can he play that if Indiana wanted to go uh, small ball, in your opinion? So... How, you know, what kind of role do you see him playing? And, and can he, is he just the, the two or can he play some three in your opinion? Well, let's remember Devontae Green is leaving. So that's 22 minutes up for grabs. Obviously, Lander's going to get some of those. Justin Smith's also gone on the wing. So I think that they're going to do a lot of three guard lineups. And so that opens spots for both Lander and Armand Franklin and other guys to sort of stake a claim there. They really have some room there. I mean, Justin Smith played 30.4 minutes a game. If they're going to mix in guys like Jerome Hunter, of course, and, and other guys, that's going to uh, obviously take some of that opportunity. But I think the guards have a chance to play it. And you know why the, the Indians going to have a lot of three-guard lineups? Because other teams are going to have three-guard lineups. So whether or not he can guard the three might be irrelevant. Um, but he's 6'4". He's got some length. I mean, I think he could guard a 6'6 guy on the wing, certainly. Uh, I don't think there's any issue with that. You might get posted up, but you've got Trace Jackson Davis behind you, ready to block a shot if, if you know a, a bigger guy posts you up. So I really don't think that's going to be a huge issue for him. Um, if he can guard guys off the dribble, which I think he can, uh, if you know, again, getting rid of the handsiness, getting rid of the you know, maybe being a little over aggressive. 
If he can guard guys off the dribble, it doesn't matter what size they are. I really don't think that because when guys back him down with the, the big guys that IU has, it's really going to, he's going to have help there. So uh, yes, I think he can guard on the wing. Um, it's may not be his ideal scenario, but I think that he can guard on the wing and, and, and really help Indiana that way. So maybe he can play some of that, you know, other wing situation uh, uh, position, but we'll see. I, you know, here's the thing. This is a situation where all of the guys on IU's roster have to step up. They have to get better because Lander's coming in, Leal's coming in, Galloway's coming in, off the wing, Geronimo's coming in. These guys are going to fight for minutes. They didn't come to Indiana to sit on the bench. Now, I think that this group, other than Lander, really has a chance to be freshmen and play five, ten minutes you know, little spurts, get their feet wet, and then develop for the next season. I really think they have, they're have they the first group under Archie Miller who has a chance to do that and really doesn't have to come in and replace big minutes and big points. But at the same time, those guys don't want to do that. Those guys want to play. And so if Armand Franklin wants to keep his minutes and increase his minutes, he's going to have to fight for him. And that fighting and that competition makes guys better. Yeah, and I, I went back through the um, opponent's size uh, when I was thinking about minutes played, and and there were like four or five teams that had six, eight, six, nine, um, you know, traditional small forward types, but they were even a little more thinner uh, three point shooters, slashers than they were post up uh, type guys. So I, I don't, I don't see that being a problem. I don't know that that's where he'll get his major minutes at the three, but he can fill in there uh, depending on the rotation. So I think Armand Franklin's going to get anywhere from 16 to 20 minutes uh, a game, depending on matchups and his, uh, you know, progression uh, from a freshman to a sophomore. I think he's going to be a big part of the success of this team. Uh, and I'm looking forward to to seeing his type of play uh, out on the floor for our Indiana Hoosiers. So uh, coming up on our third segment, uh, we'll answer your questions, including one about how Trey and Anthony might fit together and another one about Indiana's best potential offensive lineup. Stick with us here on The Assembly Call. Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot, or an episode of The Assembly Call. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I'm Brian Tonsoni with Ryan Phillips. Remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. Uh, we send out a weekly IU news roundup even during the offseason, and after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, assemblycall.com backslash community. We're going to start off the first question. Uh, who's your daddy? Uh, ask, how how does Leo and Galloway project in the future playing with each other? They are both less listed as shooting guards, uh, but I know Trey is more versatile. Uh, yeah, Trey is more versatile. He can play off the wing. He could bring the ball up if you need him to. Leal is more of a classic shooting guard. Um, he's a high, they're both high effort guys. They're both tough kids, uh, and they could, they're both multi skilled. I mean, Leal is more of a shooter, defender, you know, hustle guy, uh, and, and and Galloway is just sort of an all around guy who needs to develop his shot a little bit. But he's aggressive. He's smart. They're both very smart, actually, basketball players. 
So I think that that they match up they match up on a court really well together because they're two of the same type of kids who are going to go all out and do whatever it takes to win. They don't care about numbers. They don't care about any of that stuff. And, and that's what you want in Indiana. That's what Indiana basketball is built on. And both kids, the thing about both kids, they both know what they're getting into by going to Indiana. They know this program and they know the history of Indiana as well. So I think they match up really well as teammates. They've played together forever. Also, if you watch a lot of their team's AAU footage, uh, they just know where each other are on the floor. I mean, they, they, they didn't go to high school together, but they play together a lot and they, they know each other. Well, their buddies, all of that stuff. It's great chemistry. And I think that they're going to, however they fit, however they develop, those two guys will be a pair that we will look at for years at Indiana. Yeah, I agree. Them playing together in AAU uh, along with the season with Lander is really going to pay dividends down the road. And I think they are both shooting guards, but they do those different things like, uh, and they're just both, you know, really good, tough team kids. Next question is from Marchie Priller. Love the name. So follow him on Twitter. Uh, what do you think would be the best offensive lineup? Lander, Rob, Durham, Race, and TJD would be his. I think that would be pretty good defensive lineup as well. Al's a little slow laterally, but Race rotates over well. Uh, Jerome and Brunk first off the bench, uh, scoring and leadership. Your thoughts on the best offensive lineup, Brian? Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good one. Lander, Finnessy, Durham, uh, Race Thompson, and Trace Jackson Davis. I think that's a good offensive lineup. I think getting Hunter maybe some time going small and putting Hunter at, at that four slot, if he's developing the way everybody is talking about the way he's developed this offseason, might even be better if you want to go up tempo and a little smaller. Um, he's got some size to him. Uh, you don't see it as much because he plays more on the wing, but he's got some size to him, could probably fill in at that four spot. Uh, but yeah, that's a lineup that's going to run and it's going to go small and it's going to get up the court. And, and so I like that lineup. Um, you could even replace, you know, Al with Hunter on the wing and put race down at the four as well. So, but I, I agree. I think that's the one that you look at and you think, oh, here's the Ferrari. Like this, this can go, you know, you may not have the best defense on the floor, uh, that's a decent defensive lineup, I think, but that's a fun lineup. What, what do you think, Coach? Yeah, I, I I would say for best offense, Jerome needs to be out there for his potential. He hasn't shown yeah. it yet. We'll I mean, see what gotta, he is. He's got to yeah. come back and bring it. But the the potential for a post-up game against smaller guys or bring a bigger guy out to shoot uh, the threes, if he could add a little bounce to it, I think he's got a little more offense if you're going to play him at the four than race. Uh, so yeah, you if you slide Lander, him to the Rob, four for sure. Durham, yeah. Uh, Hunter and TJD, that's going to be a really good offense. And I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, um, you know, the two guards and Hunter playing the three. I do think race, we talked, uh, in his player preview that he needs to be given the green light to shoot his forms pretty good. He can spread the floor. Uh, and, and by the way, if yeah, those four think, can spread the floor, it leaves Trace yeah. Jackson Davis on the inside to work alone on one-on-one and they, so, you know, if they could spread the floor. Yeah. I, th I think those are, um, th that's a good lineup. I, I really think that we're, it's not going to be a struggle to find uh, lineups that we like, even with bringing guys off the bench, you know, um, and, and you could bring in a, a Leal if you need shooting for five to six minutes uh, here or there. You could bring Geronimo for athleticism if, you, if you're out and running. Um, that, that's very deep in the lineup, too. And we've just talked about Armand Franklin coming in and being able to, to do some things. So there's a lot of twisting and turning that Archie can do with the lineup. But, uh, yeah, Marchie, I, I like that lineup. Uh, I just would try to fit Jerome in there personally for me uh, somehow with his offensive uh, potential. Um, 
All right, so Ryan, we're going to come down here. Uh, Jeff asks to ask Ryan how he feels about municipalities building stadiums for professional sports teams. Uh, does it give you? Um, I, I'm not sure the end of the question, but do you have uh, tears of joy or just tears? I guess when you hear about municipalities building stadiums. Well, this is coming up because obviously I'm a San Diego resident who uh, tweeted today about an, uh, an, an interesting article about what would have happened to San Diego if they had approved a tax increase to keep the Chargers in San Diego, and the city would essentially be broke because it would be a, it was supposed to be based on a hotel tax, and nobody's going to hotels, and so the city would have had to make that up. I mean, projections are the city would have gone about two billion dollars in debt because of coronavirus shutting everything down. So. Look, I, I think that I've said this for a long time before the Chargers even had their issues in San Diego. If you're a billionaire owner of a sports franchise, you should be paying for your stadium. The city should not have to foot the bill. Um, I, I, I think that's if you have enough money to own, if you have, don't have enough money to own a sports franchise and and figure out a way to finance a stadium, you should not own that sports franchise. You should be privately owned facilities that the city is not on the hook for. Because if you look at throughout history, every time a city builds a stadium, it almost never makes that money back through whatever you know ways you want to say. I'm not saying it's not good for the city, but as far as financially, it usually ends up being a pretty bad deal for the city. So no, I do not think that municipalities should fund football stadiums. I think we are almost certainly at a point in this country where that's not going to happen again. Uh, maybe it will in isolated cases, but if you're a billionaire sports owner, you should not be able to convince a city to foot the bill for your stadium. That is a ridiculous proposition. And those owners need to either find more money to build that stadium, sell pieces of the team to raise the money to build that stadium, or sell the team because you can't afford your stadium. So that's my that's my soapbox for the day. If you're a billionaire sports owner, figure out a way to pay for your own stadium. And we have a little time. We'll, we'll go to this um uh, Bob Thompson, who produces most of our music, had a question, and we really need some more time to think about it. But we can, we got about uh, two minutes, uh, Ryan. He said the, the latest um, Hoosier Hysterics pod had DJ White, an amazing and emotive player. Who is your all time starting five of emotive players sticking with the one through five positions? So we, we don't have to go one through five, but are there certain players that you really appreciated at Indiana that had showed great emotions and, and, and that on the court? I, I think that Victor Oladipo is the one that stands out to me at number one. I mean, that was a guy who pumped up the crowd every time he was on the floor. I think Yogi started to do that his senior year. I think he was a little bit more reserved when he started, but I think Yogi became a, a very emotive player as, as he moved through. Um, we see Will Sheehy was a guy who wore his emotions on his sleeve as well, um, whether that was good or bad sometimes. Uh, we had arguments about. But, um, yeah, I think that, that the Victor Oladipo is the one who stands out to me. Uh, oh, another one would be Thomas Bryant. He was another great emotive player who was also very skilled and, and ex, you know exceptionally good. And I've been very happy to see Thomas you know succeed in the NBA. Um, but he was very passionate. He was one of those guys who the last guy off the bench could be in, and he would still be standing waving a towel and and pumping guys up. And he he, he didn't he wasn't quiet on the bench. You know, he wasn't even in the game and he was being emotive. So I, I loved seeing that about Thomas. Who are some that you as, remember? As long as they don't pop their collar. Uh and, and I know Bob yeah. put that in, into my intro. 
But basically, uh, if you show emotion because you've been successful and it's helping the team, I have no problem. Will Sheehy, Victor Aladipo, those guys, I think that's good emotion. And I think you need to play with that. But if it's the look at me, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I made a pretty move for myself. And I don't know, that might be hard to distinguish the, the difference between those two. But I, I thought the same too, you know. Um, but Sheehy, to me, uh, for, for his move at Purdue is, is probably my favorite uh, emotive player uh, flexing at Purdue because that's what needs to happen. That's so. it. We're done. No more questions. Okay, so uh, we got uh, we got all our questions in. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, jo- join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music you hear on the show. Apologies for not having all the drops ready for this emergency host. But thank you for listening. Uh, We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. That'll do it. Couldn't find the ending uh, drop music there at the very oh, end, fun. and didn't want to go through that. But um, yeah, emotion is a is a, a thing. I, I really believe that your every one of your best artists has great emotions. Yeah. Your athletes really show it in different ways, but your musicians, your artists, uh, you have to have that emotion. But as long as that emotion is pure. And, and and for the the good of the team, because I think if you lack emotion, you never bring out the best of your athletic ability. So a fist, yeah. I'm a big fist bump guy. Um, we we watch film Ryan in our high school, and and when we see good bench energy, uh, everyone standing up and throwing a you know a fist in the air. What's really great is almost once a game there'll be a big play, and you'll see everyone in unison. And we'll stop and take a screenshot of that and show our guys that everyone, you know, one guy scores and three other guys are, are, that's when you have a team, you know, when, when everyone's showing that emotion for everything and it's not that, you know, pop to collar, um, kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I like to see that. I, I think that's, I think that's really good. No, I think, I think it's incredibly important. And, and, and Thomas Bryant's constant energy had a lot to do with that team gelling. And, yep. and and being you know more effective and some guys need that energy as you said to get the best of themselves right. you know you and need you can to have too much up. yeah you, you of course you can't because you, you make yeah and 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 by the way thomas did that sometimes yep. i remember one time he uh, got a ball stolen from him and then he tried to take a point guard one-on-one got the ball stolen from him again you know i mean it's yep. you know because he was just like i gotta get that back you know and so i think that um you just have to, it's a measured thing and it has to be smart and it has to be channeled the right way. And sometimes it's hard for play young players, especially to know how to do that. But energy is huge. I mean, a team with no energy, it's, it's dead, dead in the water. You need a hype man. You need somebody out there to pump you up. And, and sometimes guys who don't need that get looked down upon. I mean, Romeo had a little bit of that negativity, which is unfair, because he just was that guy that went about his business. OG was another guy that didn't show a whole no, lot of emotion. He on still the does. Floor. And he's and 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 it's each to their own. And and that goes to coaching too. You got to figure out your your guys sometimes. Who 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 do you do you get on uh, if they're acting you know too much of an idiot and, and and other guys who might need to boost it a little bit. But those are two that are on the other end that are really good players that didn't really um, you know show a, a lot of emotion. Yeah, um, and and. 
you know, a guy like um, Al Durham started to show some last year, yes. more and more and more. He'd make a great finish and celebrate. He hit a big three. Like, I mean, he he had some um, really really big moments, and he and he showed emotion and and you know focus and all of that. St- focused emotion is what I meant to say. And, I was. And- uh- in breaking down film for the coach's corner, there was a play against Michigan State where Race Thompson got – there were three Michigan State guys, and Race battled for a rebound and kind of stole it, and everyone had run back. And Joey Brunk was the first guy back, and he gets the, the pass, and he scores in traffic, and he's running back, and he's got his little arm up, fist pump. Uh, and I, okay, Joey, he, Race got that one for you, bud. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, race had that moment, you know, and it wasn't a big explosion of emotion, but that moment where I think it was against Ohio state where he made a three in the corner and turned around and snapped at the Ohio state guy who was yeah. talking trash to him. I mean, like those little things, you kind of need to have an edge, you know, and you need to find it. And, and Indiana last couple of years hasn't had those dudes. And I think they're starting to get them. You look at the guys coming in, swagger. I think they've got more of an edge and some swagger. Yeah. You got to play with a little bit of swagger. You're coming into Assembly Hall. We're gonna we're gonna kick your ass. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna tell you about it. And and there's right ways and wrong ways, and there's subtle ways to do it. And then there are ways to 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 make you know Sports Center highlights. And it might be hard to distinguish those, but we've been around it long enough. There, you know, where guys showboating versus just showing that emotion. Just raw like, emotion. Yeah. Yeah. You're Ray Lewis coming out. You know, he got himself ready to play, whether you like that or not. Mm-hmm. But he was just in his own mind. And that whole thing got him going. Um, you know, you, you think of some great, just, you know, Michael Jordan, when, when we watched all that last dance stuff, you know, he wasn't the best of teammates sometimes. You know, he wasn't giving out candy to everyone. He was ready to, to show his emotion and kick some butt. And, you know, Kobe did the same thing, but you got to yep. play with an edge. And if you think, you know, we talked about Armand, if you think too much, if you're worried about this or that, instead of playing with that edge, and, and um, it's also got to be good because Devontae played with an edge. Like, he never missed a shot that he didn't want to shoot or a pass he didn't want to make, you know, but there is that line you have to you have to manage. So, yep. All right, guys. I got to have some dinner. I'm having shrimp. Right. Thanks good, for coasting, coach. You really – Stepped up last minute, buddy. Yeah, it's always, you know, you're sitting on the couch watching the news at 810, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, can you emergency host? And, whoa, okay, better go. Yeah. No, I actually have to try. Memory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I I do have to go back and edit uh, the second segment. I forgot to hit the um, the audio record, but the, mm. the YouTube record and everything else went, so I can go get that audio real quick. And Cool. Sounds there, good. You wait till you do it. There's yeah, like 19 someday. different things you got to remember. I know. I need to we'll just, put reminders I'm, up here about. I'm just going to keep. I'm just going to keep using the, uh, you, the PC. You know forever. what? Though so you are a genius because you just I keep know, playing right? dumb. Shh. Yeah, you just keep playing dumb and pass it on. Unlike me, I was just so glad to have a job on here. That so I'm nice doing podcasts. I'm doing uh, I'm doing podcasts on my own. All I have to do is to hit the, but I'm not doing them live, and I'm not right. doing them for radio. I'm just hitting the record button on Zoom and then talking yep. to somebody for an hour. <laughs> if we had All to right. do that, we'll I'd be good at that. Yeah. Thanks everyone right, in the guys. chat, Mom. Thanks for thanks for we'll tuning in, guys. Later, everybody. Right, we'll see. Bye, you. Coach. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger—they're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.
Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.